They're making fun. This is the Bible you get in seminary. It's called Big Red. And they're making fun of me because I brought it up here today. Anyways. It is the season of epiphany in the Christian year. The season following Christmas when Jesus is being revealed to the world. And Fran Aureli and I are using these Sundays to talk about the epiphanies or the important insights that we've had in our lives of faith, hoping that they would also be helpful to you. Uh, I called dibs on love, and I chose for my text 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. So let me read it for you. Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God first, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loves us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. We hear the voice of God in the reading of these sacred words. Thanks be to God. I had a water cup somewhere there. Sorry. We're tired. Okay. So um, the idea of love is very prominent in society today. It's an idea and a word that is used for many different purposes, to be honest, including business and political causes. But I think it's one of those words and notions that we use without really knowing what it means anymore. So let me share several of the epiphanies that I've had about love over the past several years. Uh, this, it's funny, this sermon does have six points. <laughs> Normally my sermons have three, so you're getting a twofer this morning. But it, it's, it's, it's a shorter sermon. So let's talk about what Christian love actually is and how it's something we can practice in every part of our lives, professional, personal, everything. So my first epiphany about love, it begins where our text this morning begins, and it's that we are beloved. That's the very first word, and it's repeated throughout that text. And here's what I mean by that. Verse 7 begins with this word, beloved. Beloved, it's the exact same word that is used for Jesus when Jesus is being baptized, and a divine voice comes out of seemingly nowhere or everywhere and says, this is my beloved. It's the same title that God gives to Jesus, and it's given to all the churches that happen to be reading John's letter, and it's the same word used for you and for me and for all of us. And that just makes me happy. When you encounter someone and the first thing they say to you is, hello, beautiful, hello, lovely, hello, my dear, hello, wonderful, to me, that just says, I am loved. So for me to realize this very first thing, this way that God approaches me, the first thing that God says to me and to you and to all of us is beloved. That is the foundation 
Maybe you would say, but you don't know what I've done. Okay. But I don't believe all the right stuff. Okay. But I haven't said the magic words or followed what I thought was God's will for my life. Okay. I, I hear all that, but I'm telling you, beloved is your truest name. Beloved is the foundation of who you are. The verses that we just read said that God loved us first and, and that, no, yes, that we didn't love God first, but that God loved us first. In other words, God was and always will be the first mover in this love relationship, and God is constantly calling us and wooing us forward into God's life. There are those in Christianity who try to convince people to join their cause by telling them how much they have angered God or how much God hates them. Not only do I think this is a terrible tactic, I think it's fundamentally wrong. Before we love, we are beloved. And I invite you to think, how different would our world be if people knew that beloved is their truest name? Would we fill our calendars and homes and storage units and minds with so much junk if we just started from this place? I am beloved. This isn't an easy epiphany to remember. I have to remind myself of it often and be reminded. More than that, I have to be convinced of it. I'm not my work product. I'm not my possessions. I'm not my status symbols. I'm not my intellect, my bank account, my ability to obey and stay out of the way as an inconvenience. I'm not those things. I am beloved first, and so are you. It takes a lot of courage to believe this, to believe that you are accepted in spite of any and all evidence that you can come up with to the contrary. We are beloved. Number two. My second epiphany is that love vivifies. Love brings us to life. As humans, we have the potential for so much, but we cannot become fully alive on our own. Not only do we need to be physically loved to survive and grow, we also have to be loved in many other ways for us to grow into our potential and into full life. We are always being carried forward through life by someone else's love towards us. Maybe it was uh, the personal love from a parent who literally looked into your eyes and called forth uh, who you are day after day after day. And I point over here because I know you guys are doing that kind of love into these kids' lives. Maybe it was a systemic kind of love where someone or a group of people structured the world around you in such a way that fostered your flourishing. Whatever form it takes, love vivifies. Love brings us to life. It brings the recipient of the love to life, and it brings the giver of the love to life. Our scriptures say that if we love one another, God lives in us, which is to say God lives among us. When we love others, we bring them to life. We help them know the depth of their own God-given strength, their own resourcefulness, their power, their capacity for enduring hardship their ability to make beauty amidst tragedy. When we exert loving effort on their behalf, we help them learn their true name as beloved, and then they begin to imitate that and do it for others. Gerardian, mimetic, <laughs> desire, and imitation is what we talked about yesterday. Our love for others is the breath of God blowing on the embers of their soul causing them to glow and grow and become a flame that then spreads to others and sends darkness fleeing. Love 
vivifies. Love brings us to life. My third epiphany. This is one of my favorites. Love, uh, my third epiphany is that we are, we are first a community practicing love. We are first a community practicing love. Love is the most important spiritual discipline that we are working on to cultivate and foster here. We are not first a community of doctrine and beliefs. When asked what's most important in life, Jesus did not answer, believe all the right things about the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and make your neighbor think like yourself. No, that that was not Jesus' response. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. We are first a community practicing love. It isn't that we are anti-intellectual around here or that we don't think beliefs and principles matter, but neither are we a knowledge-based community. We are a love-practicing community. Woven into this book of 1 John is a very intentional theological point. You have to look for it. You have to know what you're looking for. And it says at the very beginning of chapter 1, as well as again in chapter 4, that Jesus came into the flesh and that they touched him with their own hands. These details were intentional inclusions. At the time that John is writing this, there's this prominent religious philosophy called Gnosticism. Gnostics, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S, Gnostics believed that anything spiritual was good and anything physical was bad. So they taught that Jesus didn't really have a physical body. He just appeared to have a physical body. And that's why John says in this book, no, 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 we touched him with our hands. He had a body. Gnostics also taught that uh, one could only be saved by having a special knowledge. Gnosis, knowledge. It's the Greek word for knowledge. And that gnosis or that knowledge wasn't available to everyone. Only the elite could get this gnosis, could get this knowledge. And only the elite who had the special knowledge, they're the ones who could be saved. John says, no, no, no. No, I don't think so. It's not about knowledge. Unfortunately, there are many churches today that have these Gnostic tendencies. They think the physical, material world is inherently evil and only spiritual things are good. And this leads them to say rather unloving things that, uh, that, like, we're interested in getting people saved, not in changing social systems. They also think that one is saved only if they have the special knowledge and they believe the right things. And they said this one specific prayer with these insights. John says, no, you silly rabbits. It's not about special knowledge. It's about love. So first, be a community practicing love. Let love be your guiding principle, the hermeneutic from which you interpret everything else, and let your beliefs then flow from there. This is really good news for those of us who value autonomy of thought, right? We do not have to all believe the same things here. That's kind of weird for a church to say. We do not have to all believe the same things here. We don't have to have the same thoughts. I guarantee that those of us in this room this morning have differing views on all kinds of spiritual and religious topics, like God's providence. How much does God intervene in this world? We have different views on that, and it probably has to do with how much trauma we've experienced in this world, right? 
We have differing views on heaven and hell. We have differing views on salvation and what it even means to be saved. We have different views on the Trinity, on what the Bible is and the role that it plays in the life of Christians. We have different views on what the primary ailments of society are and on and on and on. But that's okay. We are not first a community of thieves. We are first a community practicing love. Get some snaps. Thank you. This is why, for example, communion, in my mind, is often the high point of our service, not the sermon. In the Protestant tradition, we say we don't have sacraments, but the sermon is usually the sacrament, and that's why people will preach for 45 minutes, and they'll have this moment of decision at the end where you've got to make this intellectual decision, and that's their sacrament, and we are not an intellectual community. We are a community practicing love. That's why communion is the high point, and we do it before the children leave the room so they know before you understand what's going on here, you are already accepted. Let us embody that right now by practicing <laughs> communion with you. I got lost off my notes. <laughs> it's okay. Um, thank you. I'm accepted in spite of. My fourth epiphany is that love is not a feeling. Love is not a feeling. The word that our scriptures use for Christian love is the Greek word agape. It means concern and work for the wholeness of the other. That's a very specific kind of love. Concern and work and effort put forth for the wholeness of the other person. It's not theoretical love. It's not sentiment, it's not infatuation, it's not self-centeredness, it's effort exerted on another person's behalf for their good, for their wholeness. Christian love is a very specific kind of love. There are words for all these other kinds of love, but Christian love is incredibly unique. What might that kind of love look like? Well, sometimes this Christian love, passion, and empathy when somebody is suffering. Sometimes it's holding people accountable when they're not living up to their commitments or they're not living up to their God-given capabilities. That's love, holding them accountable. Appropriate confrontation is love. Sometimes love is telling someone what you think they're full of. That's one of my favorite kinds of love right there. <laughs> that is love, believe it or not. Love is not sending thoughts and prayers. That is arm's length obligatory concern wrapped in a facade of piety our scriptures say god's love was revealed among us in this way god sent his son into the world so that we might live notice it doesn't say god sent his thoughts and prayers hey i see that sin and oppression and dehumanization thing y'all got going on i'm sending my thoughts and prayers that's not it no there is concrete action in god's love coming among us, such as Jesus challenging oppressive and dehumanizing systems that would summarily execute a woman, someone's daughter, for supposedly committing adultery. Or Jesus calling out the best in Peter after Peter just betrayed him. Or Jesus eating with Zacchaeus before Zacchaeus makes any grand life changes. Love is not a feeling or a thought or an intention. It is an action on behalf of someone else that leads to their wholeness, their flourishing. My fifth epiphany, see, we're already on point five, y'all. My fifth epiphany is that love is holiness. Love is holiness. 
In the past couple of years, I've had people tell me, usually through social media, that I'm practicing my faith wrongly and that everything we're doing here at Peace is wrong. They are deeply offended and troubled by our apparent lack of regard for their notions of orthodoxy and boundaries and rules and holiness. Now, to their credit, truly, I think this comes from a, a good place. I think they take seriously the biblical call and the mandate for the people who represent God to be holy. This is a legitimate concern. This is a good focus. Our scriptures tell us, be holy because God is holy. To be holy is to be set apart, to be different, to be in the service of higher purposes. To be honest, though, in this society, I can think of nothing more different, more set apart, more in the service of higher purposes than to practice love that I've been describing here. I can think of nothing more holy than to live a life of concern for others, to take an appropriate level of responsibility for those in our small circles of influence in a society that is so focused on seeking comfort or security or advancement, and there's nothing wrong with these things. But in this kind of society, what would holiness look like? Loving someone. Effort exerted on someone else's behalf for their wholeness. My response to those who say we're not taking seriously the holiness of God is, well, what if it's our love that is setting us apart in this world? What if we're holy because of this rather than follow moral codes. Amen. My final epiphany is that God's love isn't complete until we live it out. Yes, you heard me right. This also is radical. One of the most radical out. God's love is not complete until we live it out. Verse 12, in what I read, said that if we love one another, God's love is perfected in us. The word for perfected there means it has reached its goal, its aim, its purpose, its final form, its reason for existing has been fulfilled. It is complete now. Until we live out this love in the world, it hasn't reached its goal and its purpose. Until we live it out in this world, it's incomplete. Until we live it out in this world, God's love waits like a dormant seed. There, sitting, waiting. What a tremendous responsibility we bear. No wonder in the parable of the talents, the lesson is that the worst thing you can do is hide it away. Can you imagine holding these seeds tight-fistedly or hiding them away in a jar in your pantry or otherwise not taking the risk to plant them in the lives of those around you, I struggle to think of what could be more tragic. But it doesn't have to be. You are beloved. The risks that you take to love others brings them to life and you to life. The seeds of God's love that you plant and cultivate in the lives of others completes God's love, brings it to its ultimate purpose, and aim. These six are my epiphanies about love. They're just thoughts, nothing more. But we are not primarily a thinking church. We are primarily a loving church. These thoughts are not the most important part of the work that we're up to here at Peace. Instead, it's the myriad big and small 
personal, professional, individual, and systemic, polite and impolite ways that we tell the world that God is love. No exceptions. By God's grace, may this be the kind of holiness that we are always known for. Amen.